Chapter twenty nine of A Strange Manuscript Found in a Copper Cylinder. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eddie Winter. A Strange Manuscript Found in a Copper Cylinder by James DeMille. Chapter twenty nine. THE CEREMONY OF SEPARATION Separated from Alma, surrounded by foul fiends, in darkness and the shadow of death, with the baleful prospect of the Mr. Kozak, it was mine to endure the bitterest anguish and despair, and in me these feelings were all the worse from the thought that Alma was in a similar state, and was enduring equal woes. All that I suffered in my present condition she too was suffering, and from this there was no possibility of escape. Perhaps her surroundings were even worse, and her sufferings keener, for who could tell what these people might inflict in their strange and perverted impulses? Many drums passed, and there was only one thing that sustained me, the hope of seeing Alma yet again, though it were but for a moment. That hope, however, was but faint. There was no escape. The gate was barred without and within. I was surrounded by miscreants, who formed the chief class in the state and the ruling order. The chief pauper was the highest magistrate in the land, from whose opinion there was no appeal, and the other paupers here formed the Kosekin Senate. Here, in imprisonment and darkness, they formed a secret tribunal and controlled everything. They were objects of envy to all. All looked forward to this position as the highest object of human ambition, and the friends and relatives of those here rejoiced in their honour. Their powers were not executive, but deliberative. To the Meleks and Athons was left the exercise of authority, but their acts were always in subordination to the will of the paupers. I have everything that heart can wish, said the chief pauper to me once. Look at me, Atamor, and see me as I stand here. I have poverty, squalor, cold, perpetual darkness, the privilege of killing others, the near prospect of death, and the certainty of the Mr. Kozak. All these I have, and yet, Atamor, after all, I am not happy." To this strange speech I had nothing to say. Yes, continued the chief pauper, in a pensive tone, for twenty seasons I have reigned as chief of the Kosekin in this place. My cavern is the coldest, squalidest, and darkest in the land. My raiment is the coarsest rags. I have separated from all my friends. I have had much sickness. I have the closest captivity. Death, darkness, poverty, want... All that men most live and long for are mine to satiety. And yet, as I look back and count the joms of my life to see in how many I have known happiness, I find that in all they amount to just seven. O oh, Atamor, what a comment is this on the vanity of human life? To this I had no answer ready, but by way of saying something I offered to kill him on the spot. "'Nay, nay, Atamor,' said he, with a melancholy smile, "'do not tempt me. "'Leave me to struggle with temptations by myself, "'and do not seek to make me falter in my duty. 
Yes, Atamor, you behold in me a melancholy example of the folly of ambition. For I often think, as I look down from my lofty eminence, that after all it is as well to remain content in the humble sphere in which we are placed at birth. For perhaps, if the truth were known, there is quite as much real happiness among the rich and splendid, among the Athons and Maleks. On this occasion I took advantage of the chief pauper's softer mood to pour forth an earnest entreaty for him to save Alma's life, or at least to mitigate her miseries. Alas, he was inexorable. It was like an appeal of some mad prisoner to some gentle-hearted governor in Christendom, entreating him to put some fellow prisoner to death, or at least to make his confinement more severe. The chief pauper stared at me in horror. "'You are a strange being, Atamor,' said he gently. "'Sometimes I think you mad. "'I can only say that such a request is horrible to me beyond all words. "'Such degradation and cruelty to the gentle and virtuous Alma "'is outrageous and forever impossible. "'No, we will not deprive her of a single one of those blessings "'which she now enjoys.' "'I turned away in despair. "'At length one John the chief pauper came to me with a smile and said, Atamor, let me congratulate you on this joyous occasion. What do you mean? I asked. You are to have your ceremony of separation. Separation, I repeated. Yes, said he. Alma has given notice to us. She has announced her intention of giving you up and separating from you. With us the woman always gives the announcement in such cases. We have fixed the ceremony for the third jom from this, and I hope you will not think it too soon. This strange intelligence moved me greatly. I did not like the idea of a ceremony of separation, but behind this there rose the prospect of seeing Alma, and I felt convinced that she had devised this as a mode of holding communication with me, or at least of seeing me again. The thought of Layla was the only thing that interfered with this belief, for it might be her doings after all. Yet the fact remained that I was to see Alma, and in this I rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The appointed John came. A procession was formed of the paupers. The chief did not go, as he never left the cavern except on the great sacrifices and Mr. Kozak's. The door was opened, and I accompanied the procession. On our way, all was dark, and after traversing many passages, we came at length to the door of a cavern as gloomy as the one I had left. On entering this, I found all dark and drear, and a little distance before me there was a light burning, around which was gathered a group of hags, hideous beyond all expression. But these I scarcely noticed. For there, amid them, all pale and wan, with her face now lighted up with joyous and eager expectation, I saw my darling, my Alma. I caught her in my arms, and for a few moments neither of us spoke a word. She sobbed upon my breast, but I knew that the tears which she shed were tears of joy. Nor was our joy checked by the thought that it was to be so short-lived. It was enough, at that moment, that we saw one another, enough that we were in one another's arms, and so we mingled our tears, and shared one common rapture. And sweet it was, 
sweet beyond all expression, the sweetest moment in all my life, for it had come in the midst of the drear desolation of my heart and the black despair. It was like a flash of lightning in the intense darkness, short and sudden indeed, yet still intense while it lasted, and in an instant filling all with its glow. I did this, murmured Alma, to see you and to save you. Save me, I repeated. Yes, said she, I have seen Layla. She told me that there is this chance, and this one only, to save you. I determined to try it. I cannot bear to think of you at the sacrifice, and for love of me meeting your death, and I would die to save you, Atamor. I pressed her closer in my arms. Oh, Alma, said I, I will die to save you. And if this ceremony will save you, I will go through with it, and accept my fate, whatever it may be. We were now interrupted. The women, the hags of horror, the shriek-like ones, as I may call them, or the fiend-like, the female fiends, the foul ones, they were all around us, and one there was who looked so exactly like the nightmare hag of the outer sea, that I felt she must be the same, who by some strange chance had come here. Such indeed is quite likely, for there may have been a pass over the mountains to the land of the Kosekin, and those savage cannibals may all have been honoured Kosekin exiles, dwelling in poverty, want, woe, and darkness, all of which may have been allotted to them as a reward for eminent virtues. And so here she was, the nightmare hag, and I saw that she recognised me. A circle was now formed around us, and the light stood in the middle. The nightmare hag also stood within the circle on the other side of the light opposite us. The beams of the lamp flickered through the darkness, faintly illuminating the faces of the horrible creatures around, who, foul and repulsive as harpies, seemed like unclean beasts, ready to make us their prey. Their glances seemed to menace death, their blear eyes rested upon us, with a horrid, eager hunger. My worst fears at that moment seemed realised, for I saw that Alma's associates were worse than mine, and her fate had been more bitter, and I wondered how it had been possible for her to live among such associates, or, even though she had lived thus far, whether it would be possible for her to endure it longer. And now there arose a melancholy chant from the old hags around, a dreadful strain, that sounded like a funeral dirge, sung in shrill, discordant voices, led by the nightmare hag, who, as she sang, waved in her hand a kind of club. All the time I held Alma in my arms, regardless of those around us, thinking only of her, from whom I must soon again be separated, and whom I must leave in this drear abode to meet her fearful fate alone. The chant continued for some time, and as long as it continued, it was sweet to me, for it prolonged the meeting with Alma, and postponed by so much our separation. At length the chant ceased. The nightmare hag looked fixedly at us, and spoke these words. You have embraced for the last time. Henceforth there is no more sorrow in your love. You may be happy now in being forever disunited, and in knowing the bliss of eternal separation. As darkness is better than light, as death is better than life, so may you find separation better than union. 
she now gave a blow with her club at the lamp which broke it to atoms and extinguished the flame she continued as the barrel full of light is succeeded by the blessed darkness so may you find the light of union followed by the blessed darkness of separation and now in the deep darkness we stood clasped in one another's arms while around us from the horrible circle of hags there arose another chant as harsh and discordant as the previous one but which nevertheless like that served at least to keep us together a little longer for this reason it sounded sweeter than the sweetest music and therefore when at last the hideous noise ended i felt a pang of grief for i knew that i must now give up alma forever i was right the ceremony was over we had to part and we parted with tears of despair i was led away and as i went i heard alma's sobs i broke away and tried to return for one more embrace but in the darkness i could not find her and could only hear her sobs at a greater distance which showed that she too was being led away i called after her farewell alma her reply came back broken with sobs farewell forever atamor i was once more led away and again traversed the dark passages and again came back to my den which now seemed dark with the blackness of despair on my return i was formally and solemnly congratulated by all the paupers i should not have received their congratulations had i not expected that there would be something more i expected that something would be said about the result of this act of separation for alma had believed that it would be the means of saving my life and i believed that it would be the means of saving her life and for this reason each of us had performed our part although of course the joy of meeting with one another would of itself have been sufficient and more than sufficient to make that ceremony an object of desire i thought therefore that some statement might now be made to the effect that by means of this ceremony my status among the kosekin would be changed and that both i and alma being no longer lovers would be no longer fit for the sacrifice to my intense disappointment however nothing whatever was said that had the remotest reference to this on the following jom i determined to ask the chief pauper himself directly and accordingly after a brief preamble i put the question point blank will our ceremony of separation make any difference as to our sacrifice what he asked with a puzzled expression i repeated the question i don't understand said he still looking puzzled upon this i once more repeated it how can that be said he at length how can the ceremony of separation have any effect upon your sacrifice the ceremony of separation stands by itself as the sign and symbol of an additional blessing this new happiness of separation is a great favour and will make you the object of new envy and admiration for few have been so fortunate as you in all the history of the kosekin but you are the favourite of the kosekin now and there is nothing that they will not do for you but were you a separate before said i indignantly that is true said he in point of fact but this ceremony makes your separation a legal thing and gives it the solemn sanction of law and of religion among the kosekin one cannot be considered as a separate man until the ceremony of separation has been publicly performed 
I understood, said I, that we were chosen to suffer the sacrifice together, because we were lovers, and now since you do not any longer regard us as lovers, why do you sacrifice us? At this question the chief pauper looked at me with one of those hungry glances of his, which showed how he thirsted for my blood, and he smiled the smile of an evil fiend. Why do we sacrifice you at a more? he replied. Why, because we honour you both, and love you both so dearly, that we are eager to give you the greatest of all blessings, and to deny you nothing that it is in our power to bestow. Do you mean to sacrifice both of us? I gasped. Of course. What? Alma too? Certainly. Why should we be so cruel to the dear child as to deprive her of so great a boon? At this I groaned aloud, and turned away in despair. Many joms now passed away. I grew more and more melancholy and desperate. I thought sometimes of fighting my way out. My firearms were now my chief consolation, for I had fully made up my mind not to die quietly, like a slaughtered calf, but to strike a blow for life and meet my death amid slain enemies. In this prospect I found some satisfaction, and death was robbed of some of its terrors. End of chapter 29